Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens and offer their tips for how you can not only get in the room, but master it just like they did. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can really help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Nathan Gonzalez, an alumnus of the political management program at GSPM and one of the most trusted and respected election analysts in the business for the better part of the last 20 years. He is currently the editor and publisher of Inside Elections, formerly known as the Rothenberg Political Report, which provides nonpartisan analysis of campaigns for Senate, House, Governor, and President. He was an editor, analyst, and writer for the Rothenberg Political Report for more than 13 years before taking over the company in 2015. But that's not all. Nathan wears many hats. He is also an election analyst for CQ Roll Call, a CNN political analyst, and founder and publisher of politicsinstereo.com. On election night 2016, Nathan was an on-air analyst for the NewsHour on PBS after working as an off-air consultant for ABC News on their election night decision desk for 14 years. And he has also previously worked for CNN.com and as an associate producer for CNN's Capital Gang. Nathan. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Thank us today. Thank you for having me. When you put it that way, it makes me feel old, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's start at the beginning, as we always do with these things. Where does uh, your story begin? Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Uh, what was what was young Nathan like as a kid? Yeah, I was so I was born in Cali- in Northern California in Concord, uh, Concord, California. But I was actually I grew up in Oregon. Uh, I claim it's not where I was born, but I, I claim uh, to be an Oregonian. I grew up in a small town uh, west of Salem, a town called Dallas. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like I was a pretty normal kid. It was a small town, the small enough town where I remember when in high school when we got Walmart. I remember when we got McDonald's uh, before that. <laughs> uh, a few, a few stoplights. Um, and you know, I grew up playing sports and and always interested in journalism. And uh, I, I feel like that. Then I loved growing up in Oregon, uh, but I also wanted to get away for college. Mm. And so, uh, and actually, I wanted to go. Uh, my my plan was to go to a, a Christian school for the first couple of years, and I found a school in Orange County called Van. Now it's called Vanguard University. And my plan was to go there for a couple of years and then transfer to a real school in my mind, <laughs> uh, like USC. Uh, but when I got there, man, the community that I had uh, was was amazing. And um, 
and I was able to pursue uh, journalism. And so I stuck with it for four years. But the fall of my senior year in California, I came to Washington, D.C. through something called the American Studies Program. And that's where it all kind of came together. I I caught the political bug. I know it's a a cliche, but it's also part of my story. And I, I took that journalism that I've been interested in for my entire life, and I finally found a focus. And so I went back to California, graduated, found a job out here uh, working for CNN, and uh, that's how that's how my story began. Did you? Did your family was your family super political growing up? Did you guys like talk about the news and stuff around the dinner table? No, I mean I, I did not grow up reading the Almanac of American Politics or Politics in America. <laughs> my family was pretty apolitical. And, uh, but I think coming here to Washington, uh, my, you know, half the time we spent that semester in college, half the time was spent in class, but the other half we had internships right. and I was interning in the White House press office, wow. specifically in lower press, uh. which basically the table with the phones that I, that I was responsible for answering was on the other side of the briefing room wall. And so just being there at the intersection between the White House press staff and the White House press corps, I, I think it was was easy to uh, to kind of to catch to catch that bug. I mean, uh, now all I ninety five percent of the time I answered the phones and made copies, uh, <laughs> but it was just it was it was awesome and it, it really it connected with me. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of fact because when you're working in the White House press office, you are a, an employee of the administration, right? Not it, it, and so that the path to journalism is kind of you're going back over the wall. It sounds like you always had journalistic aspirations. Right. Um, but did was there any moment in there where you felt like, oh, maybe this like this, you know, politics on the other side of the wall uh is appealing to me? I mean, you know, I was just an intern and 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 so I was I was doing some of those things. I think I was st- still interested in that writing, reporting, those those pieces were, I mean you know, growing up, if we go all the way back, growing up, uh, my friend, we, when we would have a lemonade stand, yeah. I was se- trying to sell my own Star Wars stories that I would type out on a typewriter uh, for for some of our younger crowd who may not, younger listeners who may not, uh, you know, actually used a functioning typewriter. But uh, that writing has been a part of who I am. And so I, I was always wanted to pursue that journalism piece. So that's baked into your DNA. It's just kind of I been there from so. the beginning. I think so. So how did you go about, um, you, you catch the bug, you said that you, your first job is at CNN, really, your first real job. Yep. How do you go about kind of breaking in and getting that job, getting your foot in the door? Because I think that's always a challenge for folks, especially in DC, which operates a little bit different than, than a lot of places. Yeah, I think it starts with working hard at your internship and being willing to do uh, the tasks that other people aren't willing to do and doing it with the right attitude. I mean, the short answer to your question is I, uh, my internship supervisor at the White House knew someone at CNN.com. Uh, her name was Karen Dessauer, who was looking for somebody new. And so, and she wrote a great recommendation letter for me. And, uh, and again, going back to what I did for my internship was answer the phones and make copies almost the entire, I mean, that's what I did, but I was also willing to come in on holidays because even when there's a holiday, you still have reporters trying to call the wet, you know, the White House staff. And, and I, um, I think showing yourself responsible and capable and able in the small things helped me lead me to my first job at CNN. And then from CNN, you know, I thinking about I like journalism and politics. My first job is at CNN.com working for the political section of the website. Yeah. 
And I thought, I'm never going to have to get another job again. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. And for a while, it was amazing. Uh, then about six, uh, eight months into it, I won't bore everyone with the CNN uh, Time Warner AOL merger. Uh. Uh, but basically, the entire CNN.com staff was laid off. But because mm. I didn't make any money, I was the... The, you know, the most junior staff person, they shifted me to the TV side. Huh. And I I enjoyed the experience, but I realized I didn't want to write for TV. I wanted to write longer pieces. And so my first boss at CNN, Karen uh, Dessauer, worked for somebody named Stu Rothenberg uh, years before. She knew he was looking for someone new. She knew that I was looking for something different. And she said, the two of you should talk. And I think most of my friends and family thought I was crazy to leave CNN for something called the Rothenberg Political Report, um, but it was absolutely the right decision. I mean, I got to pursue that journalism and writing in a way that I wanted to, but also the quality of life was much better. I, in my latter job at CNN, I was working Wednesday through Sunday. The schedule was not great, and and I just it wasn't it wasn't for me. And and but I'm I'm grateful that I made that jump. It's shortly thereafter, after you go work for Stu, that you come to GSPM. Is mm -hmm. that right? What kind of right. motivates, how do you find out about GSPM? Kind of what motivates you to make that choice and how do you wind up here? Yeah, I think I started to come to the realization that um, having an undergrad degree wasn't going to be enough. I mean, mm -hmm. I was very young in my professional career, but I started to think, okay, I, I need to get a graduate degree. And so I started looking around and, you know, people go to law school. I'm like, there is no way I'm going to law school. Uh, uh, or, or pursuing other things. I didn't want to get a master's in political science or something. And so I, I candidly, I can't remember the specific how I found out about GSPM. But once I learned about it and learned about sort of more of the practicality of it, uh, it really became uh, interesting to me. And I think I was starting to work with Stu and looking at these campaigns and the idea of being able to understand campaigns from a more of an internal perspective was attractive to me. And, and so I kind of just step-by-step step took it and, and working with Stu allowed me the flexibility, you know, to, to maybe leave work a little bit early and take the classes. And, and so, and I was grateful for, grateful for that. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to me is I think most people who come to GSPM are looking to practice politics. They want to run campaigns or work on the Hill or do or kind of be not necessarily in journalism. You kind of have a unique path in that perspective for a lot of GSPM students. Um, how was GSPM and the experience that you had here helpful in your specific lane as someone who covers elections and covers the people who are practicing the politics? Yeah, and I and I was definitely not a typical GSPM student. I think a lot of them were either Republicans or Democrats looking to get into the partisan side and I I wasn't and I am still not on a on the partisan on the partisan side of things but I think being able to take classes that um, you know for example um, uh, Ron Fauche's campaign management class uh, just understanding how to put together a campaign budget and uh, what does opposition research look like and just those those things that in covering a campaign, I wouldn't necessarily learn or be forced to learn, but having that opportunity to learn it through GSPM was was influential. And actually, we were uh, at that time. So I was at GSPM 03 to 05, and we in um, Ron Fauché's class, we had to pick a race. There was a race. It was the Illinois Senate race, and this was a race between at the time uh, a state senator named Barack Obama and uh, Jack Ryan was a Republican. And anyway, and through that. 
um, I started to look at some of Obama's votes in the state legislature and how he voted present on a number of the on a number of kind of hot button issues. And, and anyway, then I was later able to turn that research and, and part of that report that I did for class into a more of a column or an editorial that it ended up getting picked up by the Wall Street Journal. And so there was it actually wasn't just to, to get a grade. I was able to, to use that in, in other ways as well. Yeah, you spent you know, pretty much your entire career analyzing campaigns and what makes them successful. That's kind of what you guys do and, and kind of try and project and rate uh, what the races look like. Uh, as a GSPM alum, you know that here, um, GSPM stresses the how, you know, how we do campaigns versus necessarily the why or the what of politics. In your opinion, what what about the type of education offered at GSPM here prepare students to go out and and run successful campaigns and be successful in the in the political sphere. I think it's it's that practicality um you know it, it's not theory, it's there is some theory to it but mm-hmm. but it's about the the how do you actually implement the strategies or or how do you how do you put this together you know candidly I I wish I would have paid more attention in Dr. Wiley's statistics class mm-hmm. uh, because that, whether you are on the campaign side or the journalism or campaign side or the journalism side, being able to uh, not just talk about numbers, but being able to work with numbers and uh, uh, in a way that um, is is practical is is important. And I know for me, everyone everyone's story is different, but I found that having a couple years of work experience leading into the program was extremely valuable. I just had categories in my head that were different. I was able to put the information in different places uh, as I as I sat in class um, that I probably wouldn't have had, you know, earlier in my career. And you were already, as we talked about, working with Stu Rothenberg at the Rothenberg Political Report when you were in the program, and you end up. Staying there for a very a quite long time yeah. up until this day, although the name has changed a couple times. Um, Rothenberg Political Report, Rothenberg and Gonzalez Political Report, yeah. and now known as Inside Elections. Um, Stu is obviously a, a legend, mm-hmm. right? A legend in the in the field, a legend in D.C. Uh, I'm sure you've learned a lot from him, you know, over the years. What's the What's the biggest thing that he's that he's taught you? If you had to pick pick like the biggest thing that you learned from Stu, mm, that's a great question. Uh, and, and there are many. I, if I would boil it down, I think it, it's to take, learn to take a deep breath. That when events happen, news events happen, it's okay to slow down and not go f- always for the instant analysis. That look for the context. Look for have we seen this before, and, and not being so. <laughs> Uh, not being so feeling that temptation, like you have to say something right away, and that's tar- that's more and more challenging. I mean, every year, every day, every week, that gets more challenging because there, there's this seeming appetite. I'm I'm not sure sometimes how much of an appetite, but there's this this push to have instant analysis, and that's where, even though you know Stu is doing um, less these days, but still trying to carry that mantle of let's let's slow down, let's let's take some time to analyze this. Uh, before and not rush to judgment on political fallout of of events. When you're analyzing races, assigning ratings, um, I'm sure that you're looking for a bunch of different things. You're looking at a bunch of different factors. What are the biggest factors that play into your decision making? How does that 
kind of, and how does that differ from, you know, what other analysts might be looking at when they're, because there's, you know, every, there's a lot of folks who try and make, and make projections and ratings yeah. and, and do that sort of thing. What are you specifically looking at? What do you think is, is helpful when you're looking at those types of things? I mean, there's not a magic formula. Uh, you know, it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative factors. You know, there's on the quantitative side, you're looking at past election results, voter registration, I guess, throw in fundraising numbers. Uh, on the more qualitative side, uh, we interview candidates. We usually interview more than 100 candidates every election cycle, which I really enjoy. And uh, that gives us more uh, of um, a feel for who these people are and what kind of campaign they're going to run. And just doing journalism of talking to sources, both in the in Washington and uh, in individual districts and states, and, and trying to piece this all piece this all together. You know, when we get to an end, the end of the election cycle, it becomes even more about numbers and what is the polling, uh, what does the data tell us is going to happen. Uh, but before that, you're kind of you're trying to build scenarios into what's most likely to happen. Uh, but then the numbers drive it at the end. Why has this gig been such a good home for you for so long? You've been doing it for a long time uh, at basically the same place, despite the many name changes. How has how has this why has this kind of worked for you? What 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 part of it speaks to you, and what do you love about this job? Uh, I think even though uh, each election cycle is different, um, each one have a, has its own set of circumstances. New candidates are coming in and out, and so there's even though there's a a repetition, uh, there's there's a freshness to each cycle, and I, and I also enjoy the flexibility. Um, you know, Stu started the newsletter in part because he had a young family. He wanted to be able to, you know, go to his kids' events. And, and I've continued to enjoy some of that. I mean, I'm married with four kids and uh, I usually am able to leave and be home for, for dinner and take someone to swimming or soccer. And then when everyone's finally in bed, which usually takes us a very long time to get everyone in bed, uh, my laptop comes open on my couch and I work until I fall asleep. Uh, but having that flexibility to be there is important. And, and being... Um, Having inside elections also has opened up some of the other avenues that you mentioned for doing, you know, CNN or working with uh, roll call newspaper, uh, speaking engagements. Uh, all of that has led to, um, you know, more financial revenue, but also flexibility. Mm -hmm. You're you obviously started kind of at the bottom and, and have grown with the and grown uh, as the company and the organization has grown. Uh, and your role really changed around 2015 when you kind of took over uh, the company and your name went on the door for a while. And then ultimately mm -hmm. now you changed the name of the organization altogether. But uh, but you were in charge all of a sudden, mm -hmm. right? Um, how has that experience been different than kind of what came before? And did it, did, did it feel different? Was it just a natural continuation um, of what you'd already been doing? How did how did that change feel? Probably a combination of both. I mean, I've been doing it for a while with Stu and we're a small operation. And mm -hmm. so I had, I was aware of a lot of the, the nuts and bolts of it, but being in charge, there's a new level of responsibility. There's the, there's the financial responsibility and uh, trying to figure out how to sustain and grow a business in a challenging media environment. But there's also the editorial responsibility that if someone's mad at what we do, um, you know, I'm, I'm the one to, to take that email or, or to take that call. Uh, but it's, uh, I, you know, I'm grateful that I had a good foundation. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't have to start from scratch that, you know, I was building on a legacy that, uh, that Stu started uh, many years ago. If you were to look back 10, 15 years from now, um, what would you hope 
to be able to say you were able to leave behind as a result of the work you're doing now, what would you hope the legacy of your work at Inside Elections would be? That it's still going. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted it to be ultimately be called Inside Elections is because I wanted the the challenge of building a brand that lived beyond me, uh, that it's... uh, that it, that it will that it will continue and that it will continue inside elections will continue to be a nonpartisan voice in an increasingly partisan atmosphere. I, I just think it's vital. Uh, it's it's challenging in in multiple ways because I, I don't believe people say they want nonpartisan, unbiased news, but that's not really uh, that's not how they they vote with their dollars or their subscription dollars or their clicks. But I I still think it's vital and it's it's not a reason to give up. I think it's all the more reason to to stay engaged. So. Yeah, I hope uh, you know that I'm I'm not in the day to maybe 15 years from now. Maybe I'm not in the day to day, but uh, uh, that it's still thriving and, and moving forward. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that I haven't that I hadn't necessarily thought about as I was preparing for this interview. But inside elections or in its many iterations before has been around for a long, long time since the late 80s, I think, when right. Sue started it. Um, and the media landscape has changed dramatically in that time. How have you guys kind of been able to continue to be successful even as there's been so much upheaval in the industry? I think it's trying to maintain focus on, uh, on who our information is useful for. Um, that I don't think we are... Um, we're going to be the household, maybe the household name or, or the average person, you know, living in, in Huntington, Indiana, where my wife's from is probably not going to subscribe. But for there are a group of people who uh, in organizations and associations and uh, political action committees who are looking to make investments in their races and they want to do their research and their homework and know uh, know where they're getting involved, who these future lawmakers are. And I think that's our our goal is to not just tell you, is this race a lean Republican or a lean Democratic race? But here are the future lawmakers for our country. And this is what um, this is where these people are coming from. Uh, you mentioned how kind of your work at Inside Elections has opened up other opportunities for you to do a bunch of different things. Um, you spent a long time working on ABC's House Decision Desk uh, as part of their, their elections coverage. Um, I think that job is a mystery to a lot of people. Um, you hear them all, hear the anchors on TV talking about our decision desk is making a call, and and yeah. it's just like it's a thing. It's a black box that people don't understand what goes on. Even for some folks who work in politics as a career, yeah. um, take us inside that room. What was that job like, and and what's it like being in the middle of the mix like that on election night? Everybody's watching, um, looking at the results coming in in real time, and and trying to make calls. Yeah. Now you're going to get me in trouble. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I think. Um, you know what I know, and each network is a little bit different in what that looks like. I think everybody has a decision desk, but uh, you know, I know from my experience at ABC, it is a very robust operation uh, with lots of uh, smart people that you know range from um, more statisticians and, and college professors to to others who are on who are on um, different different avenues, and uh, they take it seriously. And I think particularly in the post two thousand, these decision desks have existed for decades, but um, post the 2000 presidential election, there's a, there was a renewed focus on, on getting it right. And it's challenging in a way that it's probably more 
numbers based than than what where my mind naturally goes, my writer's communication mind goes. But I've, I'm always encouraged by I was always encouraged by being involved uh, cycle after cycle because there were so many smart people uh, in the room and just to be involved. It's sort of like Christmas night or Christmas morning. You cover these races for two years and then you get to be there as all of the vote totals come in. Is it was exciting every time. I imagine that that experience produces some memorable moments being in those rooms at these these giant moments in in elections and in politics um that really do shape history. Is there is there any is there a favorite story that you have that stands out from that you did that for a lot of years? Is there a favorite story that stands out as as you look back on that time in your career? Well, I think sometimes being specifically on the House desk, uh, when we were able to, you know, when we got to the point where we were able to call um, Democrats taking over the House in 2006. Um, that's not because we we're rooting for Democrats, but it's because you know, the the hard work that I'd put in for two year for t- over that two year cycle, and and that was uh, that our projection at the on the Rothenberg political report side that that seeing that okay we we did it like we we were able to to project these elections correctly, uh, but overall you know just thinking about other moments kind of being in the room and having those wow moments in 2016 I had the opportunity to be on camera at PBS on the news hour and we were focused the desk that I was on was the non-presidential desk we were covering everything else but just being in the studio and and seeing that other desk from just across the studio and being there was was pretty amazing you know I've had a chance to do meet the press and that was kind of a Oh uh, wow! What am I doing here? <laughs> Moment, you know, embracing that. Yes, I've done the hard work to to be here, but still having the that sort of the the wow factor there was uh, was another moment that comes to mind. Yeah, you did you did behind the scenes kind of off air stuff for a long time at ABC, and have subsequently kind of switched into more of an on air role at PBS. You do obviously do on air stuff for CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, What's what's that transition like, and what kind of new challenges does an on-air role pose that you maybe didn't you know have in an, an off-air role? I think one of the challenges is trying to be broader, uh, learning to be broader about what topics that you can talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. I I feel very comfortable talking about congressional races and, and campaigns and elections, but when you move into these these on-air roles, you you have to be able to talk at least somewhat uh, fluidly about the news of the day. And and that's not necessarily about what's going on in South Carolina's first district or right. Oklahoma's fifth district. And, and so that's a, that's a challenge, but uh, and a lot more people see, you know, see you and they have their comments that they want to make uh, to you. And so that's just comes with the, comes with the program as well. You juggle all these, all these different roles, all these different things that you do inside elections, your television work, ABC, CNN, your role as a contributing writer at Roll Call. Um, how do you balance it all? And you mentioned a little <laughs> bit about how it does give you flexibility, but how do you keep all these balls in the air? And do you have any, any tips for others looking to maybe not do the, juggling the same things, but uh, juggling their own stuff nonetheless? Yeah, I don't know if my wife or kids would say that I'm juggling them well, uh, but uh, <laughs> the... I guess you have to learn to say no um, as you as you increase in your profession and your profile. You, you there will be more opportunities, and, and you have to be strategic. And that often means saying no to some things or delegating uh, delegating some of those things. Um, focusing on what needs what's what are the urgent things uh, that that have to get done and what can be done a little bit later is the the you know 
still fundamentally, even though we have all these things going on, we have a newsletter that has to be to get out the door. We have a deadline. Has to, we publish basically every two weeks. And so no matter what goes on, I mean, for example, I might I've, I was at a speaking event in Chicago on a, on a Friday morning, and we usually publish our newsletter on Fridays. And instead of just flying home, like, no, I need to hunker down in this hotel room and knock, <laughs> knock out this newsletter because it has to get out the door. Uh, so it's I think you just take it one one step at a time and, and learning to say no is one of the big things I would say. Yeah. Trust in, in institutions is kind of at an all-time low if you look at the polling, particularly among young people. And that's trust in institutions across the board, government, journalism, news outlets, um, just financial systems, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give to a young person on a – why they should get involved in any of this, why any of this stuff matters um, that you've you know dedicated your life to covering and and B, how they can find their own voice or their own path or their own lane through which they can can play a role in it. Well, how much how long is this podcast supposed <laughs> to be? Um, I I guess with the with the first part, I still believe, that people can make a difference. I know it's it's challenging and hard, but I, I tend to be an optimistic person, and and that you can find, um, you can be an expert at something if you if you focus on if you find find something and dedicate your st- yourself to it. There's an opportunity to be an expert, and there will be an audience for it. It may not be the biggest audience, or it might not be everyone in the world, but I believe that, uh, that people can still make a difference. And now I can't remember the second part of the, uh, how can, how can young people find a way to do that? If, if we believe, yeah. if you believe that young people can make a difference, that people generally can make a difference, how do you yeah. find your little space to do that in uh, what often seems like a very big world with very big challenges? I would say trial and error. I would say intern as much as possible, uh, try to get those, the, sort of the real world experience or try to get windows into these different professions that you think you might want to do. And you might see those, go through the, look at through those windows and you might hate it or you might love it. You just don't know. But if you get out there and try, and I think it'll come in and not being afraid that the first job you land is going to be the job that you're in for the rest of your life. Um, you know, I thought I had found my first job was going to be the job I had for the rest of my life. And it ended up not being that. And it took some twists and turns. Now it's kind of crazy. I've come full circle and now back on team CNN after, you know, a, a hiatus, but uh, just, you know, don't be afraid that you, you don't have to have everything worked out from the beginning. You know, your, your path will take some, will take you down some places that you probably don't expect it. will. last question. There are a lot of opinions about what, kind of the ingredients are for a successful career, what makes a career successful. In your experience, what have you found to be most important? What you know or who you know, or is it some combination of both? I would say it's a it's a combination. Um meaning in journalism, I think it's helpful, particularly in this political analysis, it's helpful to have kind of a backlog of of information and cycles that you can that you can draw on or knowledge from something like the GSPM program that you can draw on but and some of that just takes you know you got to you have to build that over the course of over the course of years but in journalism it's not necessarily what you know but who can get to the person who knows mm-hmm. more most quickly you know and get them to answer that phone call or answer that email and so I 
you know, when it comes particularly in a breaking news environment or analysis, I might not know the answer, but, you know, can I, can I call the person that knows and, and be able to get that information out to, to our readers as quickly as possible? So it's a, I still believe Washington is a, is a small town. Um, relationships matter. Uh, I, there were relationships that I, uh, friendships that I built at GSPM for, I sat next to a, uh, in, in class aside next to someone named TJ Daly. And uh, we took this class together. And, and after the fact, he, he emailed me and said, Hey, I've got this, this friend who's running for Congress. Um, do you mind meeting with him? And I was like, well, you know, I was open. He said, well, he's challenging this long time incumbent in California. And I'm like, well, in my mind, I was thinking he's probably not going to win, but I like TJ. We took class together at GSPM, so I'll, I'll go ahead. So I met with this city councilman named Eric Swalwell huh. and, uh, and, it ended up, and I met with him like, "Wow, I better take this race more seriously." And he ended up knocking off a, a longtime incumbent uh, in 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 California, and so it's just sort of a a good example of this. It's a small town, and in uh, relationships matter. You just never know what's going to come next. Wise words from a wise man, Nathan Gonzalez. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know you're super busy and you got a lot on your plate, but we appreciate you uh, talking with us today. Thanks so much. No problem. 